The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, you open to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We're in a series in Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs for eight weeks. There's no way we can get to all the Proverbs in eight weeks. And so what we're going to do is we're going to grab some chunks of this book and then intermingle some of the short pithy sayings. That's what a proverb is. I know a lot of you know that, but a proverb is just a short pithy saying that uh, captures some general truth or advice. And um, you, you know a lot of proverbs. Uh, they're popular because they're easy to memorize, right? You guys know a bunch of them. Every week I've been handing some out and you guys know them right off the top of your head. No pain. There's more than one way to... Why do we say that? I do not know. All those poor cats. Why, why are we skinning cats in this analogy? I do not understand. You get what you pay for. Well, some of you know some Proverbs. You play with fire, you get? There you go. All right. How about if at first you don't succeed? There you go. All right. So I knew you guys knew some Proverbs, uh, but I'd also love for you to learn some of the Proverbs that Solomon, who received divine supernatural wisdom from God to be the leader and king of Israel, provide for us and are established for us in the scriptures. And so I mentioned to you that the book of Proverbs doesn't just start off with these short pithy sayings. In fact, they don't start until chapter 10. And so you get an introduction in chapter one, verse, chapter one, verse one to seven. And then from chapter one and verse eight, all the way through the end of nine, we get these 14 little sermonettes and 10, 10 of them are the, these fatherly appeals. And they start with my son, my son. And then four of them are poems about or from Lady Wisdom. And so we're going to take these eight weeks and go through some of these and then intermingle some of these uh, proverbs that are great for memorizing and then encapsulate the lessons that we're going to learn. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter three, verses one to 12, which contains probably one of the few scripture memory verses that most people have memorized. And that is Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will what? all the Bible scholars said. So we're going to read that, but I want to read it to you um, in its context. And so five and six fall into a section that's one to 12, and that's one of these fatherly appeals. And so I want to study it together uh, this morning. And so I'll read it and then we'll pray. Proverbs chapter three, starting in verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of god and man trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. God, thank you for inspiring it by your Holy Spirit, writing it at the hands of those you called and commissioned and empowered and preserving it for all of time. God, the the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God, we we are eager to hear your voice and to be transformed by an encounter with wisdom, with reality, with the God who made everything and is communicating to us how we ought to live in this world. God, thank you for the deep truths that these 12 verses speak to our hearts. And I pray that our hearts would be good soil to receive the seed of your word and that that your word would bear fruit in our lives. God, I pray specifically for anybody who's present, who is preoccupied with anxiety or fear. God, I pray that they would have all of those voices in their minds quieted and calmed, and they would hear what you want to say to them. God, thank you that we have good news this morning of great joy for all people. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, Tiffany and I uh, have four children. We tried for seven years to have kids before the Lord answered our many, many, many prayers and the prayers of our friends and gave us our sweet Evie girl. And then those girls just kept on coming. And uh, after three, we thought, I think three is good. And uh, before we were able to do anything about it, uh, Tiffany became pregnant with number four. And I was convinced number four was a girl. People used to ask us all the time about having girls. Are they the same or are they different? And we'd say, oh, they're so different. Each of them is unique. And then God gave us a boy. And now when they ask me that, I'm like, they're all the same. All the girls are just the same. Because compared to him, they're completely different. And so he's sitting on the front row. He doesn't like church. We're hoping that wears off. Uh, but he's here. And, um, and so he and I have a, a wonderful, unique relationship as the only men in the house. And so I'm seeking to raise him and train him. And so him and I have a, a lot of conversations. And I talk to him just like Solomon talks to his son. I say, my son. When I talk to him, I say, my son. Especially when he needs to hear something, I'll say, come here, my son. And I'll look him right in the eyes. And, um, you know, a lot of times he just listens to whatever I say. And he just believes the things that I tell him. Sometimes he's really fixated on how big things are and how long things take and how far away things are. How fast can your truck go? He says to me yesterday. I said, buddy, I've, I've never pushed the limit of this vehicle before. The speedometer stops at 120 miles an hour. Wow, that's fast, he says. You know, How fast are we going right now? 36. Go faster, he says. Go 100. Go 100 miles an hour. Sometimes he's asking me, how far wide is the Atlantic Ocean? I'm like, I don't know, buddy. We could look it up. Look it up. So he's very interested in immediate facts. Google's his friend. Uh, but sometimes I just don't have the, the patience to answer, to look things up. And so I'll just, I'll make something up. Be like, it's a thousand miles. Wow, that's big. And he just believes me. He just thinks that's what it is. Because I tell him. But then sometimes he just does not believe me. The other morning, um, I was off and we were all there together. And he asked me, he already eaten oatmeal and he had a Nutri-Grain bar and cup of juice and his sister started making English muffins that were flavored, maple flavored English muffins. Buy one, get one. Thank you, Publix. 
And he smelled, he smelled those maple English muffins. Dad, I want one of those. You make me one of those? I said, sure, buddy. And uh, he went back to watching TV. And I guess I don't make his food right away because he did not believe I put it in the toaster. Did you put my English muffin in the toaster? Yep. He goes, let me see. I was like, what? And he, he, he marched over there and the toaster's right here and I'm standing right there. I'm like, buddy, it's in the toaster. It's right here. Pick me up. I was like, bud, the button is down. Do you see the button? Why would the button be down if it was not in there? I want to see. And then he, then he looked at me and he goes, wait, I can smell it. Okay. I'm like, it's so strange the things he chooses to believe that I tell him and the things he distrusts me about. Do you understand this? Now, what we're going to look at this morning, five, verse five and six of chapter three, these are like, after John 3.16, probably the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Most of you, if you're not all of you, know them. Almost everybody has heard them. And it, it makes good sense that we would trust God, doesn't it? I mean, he made all this. He made us. He's sovereign, powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent. There is nowhere he's not, and he doesn't sleep. Sounds like somebody you could trust. Not only that, when we all did the wrong thing, he was not satisfied to lose us to death and the grave because of our own mistakes. And so he came into our world to bear away our burdens, to join us in the brokenness of our world and to become one of us so that we could be one with him forever. He loved us to death. And then he was victorious over death and the grave, raised on the third day and ascended into heaven in front of people. And we are here because those people saw that happen and started preaching this good news. And everywhere on the earth, people hear who God is and what he's done for them. Their hearts are transformed in a moment and they become part of his family. And that's happening all the time. Next Sunday night, we're baptizing nine or 10 more people. It's happening all the time. And you think that might be enough for us to go, all right, God, you do the God thing and I'll just relax. But we don't, do we? We're like Julian in the toaster. Let me see. <laughs> and so we need these verses, but not just these verses. This is not a grin and bear it kind of a command. It's set in this chapter and it taken in its whole reveals some things to us that are gonna expand our knowledge of God and not just make us more aware that we should trust God, but increase our faith and hope and expectation in who God is to me so that I do trust God. And we need to trust God because we're out there trying to do stuff. Anybody try to do stuff this week? You got some plans coming up that you're gonna try to get done? You wanna try to do that without God's help? Buckle up. You know what I'm saying? Julian likes to help me open packages when they come. And he got, we came home grocery shopping yesterday and it was a little Amazon package on the door. And he grabbed it, he couldn't wait to open it. And no sooner did I get those groceries on the counter and I looked down and he's got a paring knife in his hand, pulling right towards my son, oh, my son. And I gave him a little lesson about knives and waiting for dad and which direction we cut and all kinds of stuff. Right tool for the right job. We talked about it all, right? And uh, that's all of us. We're all just out there fixing to slice ourselves wide open if we're not careful. And so we need... We need to know God and we need to experience him in a way. And I just, just had me thinking about this idea, this, this idea of trusting and leaning. I love that the, the writer here, Solomon, he gives us these very practical ideas. Trust is very relational and it's in the heart and it's in the mind. And lean is very physical. It's a great analogy. I was thinking about things that we lean on. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of some images I had from a long, long time ago, back when the internet was slow. Zing, remember that? And uh, there was this article and it said, why women live longer? 
and it had a bunch of statistics, and then at the end it just showed pictures of men doing dumb things. And so I thought I would share some of those pictures with you. I started thinking about leaning, the things that you lean on. No, I gotcha. You go ahead, Doug. I gotcha. You're good. Yep. Now, come on, raise your hand if you've done that before. I have definitely done that. How about this one? Yeah. You like that one? Yeah, it's just the capacitor. If you'll just uh, get out there and take care of that. No, Bill's heavy. He's heavier than you. I did the math. You're good. It's crazy. How about this one? This one's so old, it's just super pixelated, but you got to love, my forklift doesn't reach. Let's put my forklift on your forklift. (laughs) I don't know if I would do that. I don't think I would do that if I were you. Yeah, and then I did this one. This wasn't the worst one, but just the banner. I mean, read the banner. (laughs) I think there's a message there for somebody. The things we choose to lean on sometimes are remarkable. And then sometimes who God's called us to trust in, the one who's in control of all things, we're hesitant to do that. And so I'm not going to try to beat you with the command to trust God more. All of us are trying to trust God more. Can I get an amen? But I want to expand this verse into the appeal in which it's set so that you get a picture of who God is and why, when you know him, it's just easy. It's just easy to trust him. So look back with me at verse one. My son, do not forget... So this is about what's in your mind, my teaching, but let your heart, so this is about how sincerely you've taken it to be yours, but let your heart keep my commandments. And look what it, look at this, these sets of command benefit. Verse one and two, three and four, odd verses of the command, even verses of the benefit. What's the benefit of not forgetting my teaching and not letting your heart lose my commandments? Look at verse two. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. How many of you guys have ever wished you had more hours in a day? Raise your hand. I love that it says length of days. It's going to give you a longer day. Now, nobody's day is getting stretched out, but you guys know the difference between ending a workday feeling very productive and looking up and it's 545 and you have done almost nothing. Come on, somebody say amen. There's a productivity that comes along with trusting the Lord. A lot of times we burn a lot of energy and waste a lot of time trying to control things that are outside of our ability to control. Isn't it amazing how worry can can just make the day unproductive? And not only that, productivity is awesome. Also longevity, years of life. Now, these are general principles. I mentioned this in week one. I'll keep saying this. These things are generally true, but they are not always true. There are exceptions to the rule and the exceptions amplify the rule. When I think about doing what God has said and believing him and following him, and then that giving you years of life, I think of Jim Elliott, the missionary who in his 20s lost his life in the mission field. So it doesn't always end this way, but it often ends this way because this is the way that God has designed the world to work. And peace, they will add to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to have productive days, live a long time and experience peace. And this is how we experience that. Look at verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. These are are another three beautiful images. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now, steadfast love and faithfulness again and again and again are paired in the scriptures. If you read from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, these are things that are in the nature and character of God. This is the way that he lives. This is the way that he acts. This is the way that he interacts with us. And when you are near to God, you are encountering and experiencing steadfast love and faithfulness because that is who he is. And I love that it says, don't let those forsake you because God is on the move. Do you realize it? And he wants us to be moving with him. 
him. And when we are with him, we are experiencing steadfast love and faithfulness. And the picture here is steadfast love and faithfulness. They're taking off and you're, you're staying at the restaurant. You know, you're being left behind at the, at the exit. And don't let them forsake you. Don't let them leave you behind. Don't let them abandon you. Stay close to steadfast love and faithfulness, not only because they're God's heart towards you, but this is what we are called to emanate and reflect. And the time we spend with the Lord, we end up experiencing his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And it makes us into steadfast people, loving people, faithful people. And this is who we're trying to be. Any, any women in the room would like a faithful man? Any women in the room like a, a man that loves them steadfastly? Stay close to Jesus. Don't let him, don't let, don't, don't not go the way he's going. This is, this is what the psalmist or the Proverbs writer says. And then it says, bind them around your neck. When Tiffany and I met, I had one key in my life, the key to my car, because I didn't own a home and my dad doesn't lock the door. So if you want to go into his house, you're welcome to anytime. So I, so I had one key and, um, but I lose things and I still lose things. I've not, I've not grown out of that. And uh, so I kept my car key on a chain around my neck. And so when we were dating, it was not jewelry. It was very utilitarian. And um, believe it or not, I lost to that key. And my solution was to take out the ignition of my car. So you did not need a key any longer to start it. And that seemed like a good idea at the time. Okay, now you guys laugh at me. Some of you are not laughing. You're like, I feel you. I feel your pain because that's me too. I, I'm just the same way. Uh, but, but I love this picture. Listen, steadfast love and faithfulness, tie them around your neck if you need to. Do you understand the, the, the level we're going to? Your heart is, your heart is a, a tablet. And if you're here and you're under 20, that is not an iPad that, that the writer is talking about here. The tablet of, of stone. He's saying, chisel that stuff. Make it permanent. Get it, get, it, get it tattooed on your heart is what he is saying. Because if you do, you will, two things, find favor and good success. Anybody looking for some favor? And where do we know that phrase from in the Old Testament, find favor? Who found favor with God first time we see it? Genesis chapter six. Noah, he's the only one whose family lived to survive a global flood. I'd like favor, favor please. So tie it around your neck, write it on your heart and you're gonna experience the Lord's favor and you're going to experience high esteem or good success in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 16, 6, for your memory verse, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Listen, God cleans up our messes because of his steadfast love, because of his faithfulness. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. We can't, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't fix our mistakes. We can't transform our own hearts, but God can. And so we stay near to his steadfast love and faithfulness. And we have a disposition of trust and faith in him. The scriptures call this the fear of the Lord. And it's this disposition that causes us to turn away from evil and to not let God's steadfast love and faithfulness move on without us. We don't depart to the left or the right, but we stay near to him. Now, we get these repetitious appeals because they're setting up this big command. And I just love this because it is very fatherly. Uh, I didn't think I would say this when I was a child and a childless man, but um, as a parent, I find myself saying things like this all the time. Don't make me say it again. How many of you parents have said that before? How many of you children are still traumatized by the sound of that phrase? Yep, I'm only gonna say this once, right? You guys ever say this? You ever say these things? How many times do I have to tell you? 
It's for all of us. Now, I know that there's no condescension or belligerent tone in these verses, but he's saying it and he's saying it again and he's saying it again because he wants us to be ready for the big command. And here it is, verse five, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I was gonna do, I was trying to think of ways to help this stick. And um, I was thinking I would look for the biggest guys in the room, two of them, and I would have them stand here and I would just turn around and fall backward off the stage. And then I knew my wife would be in the service and I wanna go home with her. So I decided against it, but I thought that would work, you know? But she also recognizes that I don't have the best judgment. I may have picked guys who are really big but did not have the arm strength necessary and I hit the floor, you know? That would have made a different point. But I want us to get this concept of, of trust. And, and there's that, you know, we did the trust falls at youth camp and you, you really, you're, you're believing in the person. Every single one of you is trusting the chair you're sitting in, right? This is the way we teach it to the kids back there in kids' church. You are putting all your weight into this chair and you believe that it's going to hold you, right? And this is this tension that we find ourselves in because we are here. You're in church probably because you, there, you have faith in your heart. You believe some things and you're here to live in, in concert with that faith. Maybe some of you got dragged here. Maybe you're here on promise of lunch. Maybe you're out of town. You don't have your own car and you're just waiting to be taken to the airport. I don't know why everybody's here, but I'm assuming some of us are here because of what we believe. And there's a very close connection between belief and trust, but they are not the same. Reminds me of the story of Charles Blondin. You guys, ever, you guys remember this? This is in the 1930s. Charles Blondin showed up to Niagara Falls and he set up a tightrope over a portion of Niagara Falls. And day after day, he would gather crowds and he would, he would walk across this tightrope over Niagara Falls. And every day he would up the ante a little bit. And so people would come to watch him. Whoa, it's crazy. And then he would go out there and he would carry something. He would take out, he would take out, he would go out there and juggle, he would carry a ball, he would do all these different things. And he kept getting crazier and crazier and crazier. On like the fourth day, he takes a wheelbarrow and he runs the wheelbarrow out and he does some little tricks with the wheelbarrow and he flips it over and he drops it back down, he walks it back. And then the next day he fills the wheelbarrow full of rocks and he has like a hundred pounds of stones and he walks out there with this wheelbarrow. And he gets back there and does this little show. And at the end, everyone's cheering for him. And so he goes, all right, this is my last, my last trick. He goes, um, how many of you guys think I can push the wheelbarrow and bring it back? Every, how, many, how many of you believe that? Everybody raises their hand. But then he says, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? How many takers do you think he had? Zero. That's the difference between belief and trust. You see? And what God's looking for from you is not merely belief. The devil believes in God. <laughs> but do you trust him? Do you trust his character? Do you trust his power? Do you trust his promises? Do you trust him? This is the teaching. This is the command. This is the fatherly appeal. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Think about that for a second, with all your heart. With all your heart. All of us do this thing where we calculate risk, don't we? Like we do make decisions. You got, we all make decisions where we go, you ever, you ever been at a closing table where there's lots of numbers and zeros about to come out of your account or you're gonna be indebted to, you're making some big choices. Have you ever, you know the feeling of, of walking 
down the aisle on the big day or making some big life-altering commitment. You know the feeling. You are making a decision, but there's oftentimes in our lives where we have the they have doubts. We have, we're like, how's this going to go? How's this going to work out? A little bit of fear and trepidation. And so we're making these decisions. And God's after all of our heart. I teach uh, my kids to surf. They love surfing. And when you teach kids to surf, they start in the very shallow water on a very big board with very small waves that have already broken. And they, they're little, so they just hop up. And they're just standing there. Yay, I'm a surfer. Well... And then they get a little bit bigger and the board gets smaller and the waves get taller. And then they get to this stage where I want to take them out to before the waves have broken and they're looking for a wave and they're paddling to get that wave. And it's funny because when you're laying down on a surfboard, even a wave that's only three or four feet looks enormous because you're looking at all of it. And so they get scared. It's not big. We, we, we take them out there. And the, when, when they're little and they're in the little, in the little whitewash, they, they get, catch the wave and they start scooting along and they hop up to their feet. But when you're catching a wave, you're having to get up to your feet as the thing is breaking. And the bigger it gets, the scarier it looks. And so all my kids know how to get up to their feet so far that I've learned to surf. But it's a whole heck of a lot different when you are face down with the power of the ocean trying to throw you forward. And I, I watch them all. They all just pearl. They go right over. Nosedive. Why did I nosedive, Daddy? Because you were scared. That's why. And we go back to the beach, and I give them all the same little lesson. You have to commit. You have to, you actually, everything in your body is saying, don't do this. And your mind has, you have to, your mind has to tell yourself, get to your feet. Just get to your feet. And I tell them, I say, don't look around you at all. Look right here at your board and just get to your feet. And once you're at your feet, then you look. Because you've got to be all in or you will never make it. And I tell them too, I, I went, the first time I went to El Salvador, I went surfing and we caught a 15 feet. The waves were biggest I'd ever surfed. And I went there with, without a board and I rented a board. I had a five, six fish. It's about this big and this wide, not made for 15 foot waves. And I was out there and I was paddling into a wave and I felt that same old feeling of don't do this. <laughs> and I used my little trick. I just stared at the board and got to my feet and then thought about it after. And everything worked out because that's just the way surfing works. I don't know what else works that way, but surfing works that way. And this is what God's calling us into is to take our belief and put our trust in him and access this wholeheartedness and to look away from our own understanding. Sometimes our own understanding makes sense, but it's wrong. Can I get amen? And so I love that this passage in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God's saying, you do things my way and I will take care of the rest. And, and, and we see here um, these two phrases that pop up again and again and again in Proverbs. The path, somebody say the path. And your ways, say your ways. So you got your ways and you got the path. Now your ways is how you do what you do and the path is where you end up going. Do you see this? Now all of us wake up making plans and those are path. We're thinking about what's happening on Friday. We're thinking about doctor's appointments. We're thinking about savings plans. We're thinking about upcoming events. We're thinking about raising our children. We have these varying degrees of paths that we're trying to be on and places that we want to end up. Do you guys do this? Anybody else a functioning adult? All right. And then, but then we have our ways. These are the things that we do. These are our habits. These are the things that form us. This is the way in which we live out our days. They're real close and they're, they're right here and they're real personal. But isn't it true that our ways influence our path? How many of you guys have a hard time getting up out of bed in the morning? You're like, not me. I'm here at church at first service. 
Did you set an alarm? You have to set an alarm to get up out of bed. Have you ever overslept, missed your plane, ruined your plans? Because your ways influence your path. And so these Proverbs are going to talk about your ways and your path over and over and over again. And here the, the father, Solomon, is saying, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. So we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get the path straight and not a lot of time worrying about the ways in which we do these things. And we get that backwards. And so here we see, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your path. And so your ways start with trusting God, thoughts about the truth of God, uh, understanding of who God is, uh, conversations with God through prayer. This is why we need scripture and we need prayer every single day because we will give in to the old feelings of distrust. Even though they're not based in fact, the reality is, is God is still in control and God is good and God is all powerful and he made us and he rules the world and this is all going somewhere. And if we'll just do whatever he says, everything will be fine. It's easy to say, it's hard to do. And so we gotta get it in here. We gotta bind it and tie it and keep it and chisel it and get it in there. And that's gotta be part of our ways as we acknowledge him. And then as we do that, we don't know what the future is gonna hold, but as we follow him, he starts to make the path straight for us. Anybody, anybody over 60 years in the room can tell me that this is true. Come on, shout amen. I'm behind you. I'm behind you. I'm at 40. I feel old. I know I'm not. I know I'm gonna look back and be like, that's when you were young and spry. I love Proverbs 16:31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. Somebody say amen. I just hope I have some by the time it gets gray. It is attained in the way of righteousness. So many people don't live long enough to see the gray, and the gray is a crown. Here's a bunch of Proverbs. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to send them to you in the notes. If you don't get our email, see Missy at the Welcome Center. We'll get your email. You'll get all the notes, all these short, quippy Proverbs. Your, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examine all your paths. And the path of righteousness is life, and its pathway there is no death. There is a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, the amplification turns up in verses seven and eight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Here, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then Solomon does two things. And I asked Tiffany this earlier in the week. I said, babe, I said, what do you think are the two things, if you had to pick just two, what are the two things that people have the hardest time trusting God for? And I already had two in my mind. And she said, the same exact two that I was thinking of. Money and difficult circumstances. Provision and pain. Those are the two things that all of us, when you're like, I trust God, okay, well, then he's saying to do this with, the, with your money. Well, I, I mean, I mostly trust God. <laughs> Let's not be silly here. That's irresponsible. All right, hold on. And how about, how about everything was going great. I was on that path and then something terrible happened that I didn't foresee coming and now I'm suffering and, and now I'm tempted to not trust God. Are you for me? Did you see this coming? Why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you tell me? What could I have done differently? Did I mess this up? Is this my fault? Are you punishing me? All those thoughts come through. Listen, Solomon knows this and look at the way he applies this reality. Look at verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Your wealth is your savings and your first fruits is your income. So you got savings account, checking account. And so the idea here is that you see all your stuff as God's stuff and you're ready to honor him in whatever, whatever way you can. You're gonna show honor to God with the stuff you have because you don't trust in it, you trust in him. 
He's the one that gave it to you. It belongs to him. And so you honor the Lord with it. And all the stuff that comes in, listen, we all go to work. We all, there is a indirect connection between your work and your pay. Can I get an amen? But there is a direct connection between your God and your provision. Can I get an amen? And so we honor the Lord with our wealth and with our first fruits of our produce. And then the promise is, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Tiffany and I have this thing all the time we talk about, we live in a house we cannot afford. We have an enormous, beautiful house in a, in a wonderful place right by the beach. We should not be able to afford that. We don't have the money to buy it, but, but the circumstances ended up that we ended up being there. So we look richer than we are. <laughs> Do you understand? With the little that God gives us, we keep being faithful and being faithful and being faithful. And we can never buy the stuff that we have, but the Lord provides it in miraculous ways. We were driving the minivan two years ago. The minivan. We were, we were in the little kid stage, the little car seats and buckled up and there was milk and orange juice all over the carpet and CD player didn't work. That thing was mommed and it was time for a new vehicle. And I, I wanted to buy Tiffany something really, 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 really nice. And you know what happened? You know what happened? COVID ruined everything for everybody, including those people with least infinities. And the Infinity dealership ended up with a car I could never afford off lease. And it was a year older than all the other ones they had. And they could not sell it. And they sold it to me for half of what it cost. They called me asking if they could buy it back for more than I paid for it two years ago. I can't afford my car. And here's the thing. I can't make, we can't make this stuff happen. We just, we trust God and we honor him with what we got. You see that? We just honor him with what he got. And some of you are, some of this is easier than others. Some of you are savers in the room. It's hard for you. I'm a spender. I'm like, ah, I'll get some more money later. Tiffany and I are kind of both like that. So it's a little easier for us. Some of you are you're savers. And you're like, I really look really hard for all that money. It's my money. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. And it could disappear like that. Somebody say Amen. You can't trust in it. You can't trust in it. You can't trust in it. But when we honor the Lord with it, he just does these things that are so far beyond. It's God math. It's God accounting. You guys know God math? You know God math. Two, five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus equals dinner for 5,000 plus 12 baskets of leftovers. Just to put an exclamation point on it. And so, and so Solomon's saying, son, listen, don't get caught up in trusting in your wealth. <laughs> And don't think that you're so clever and that's why things went well for you this season. You just honor the Lord with what he's entrusted to your care and he's gonna take care of you. Do you see this? It's very practical, isn't it? And then lastly, he says in verse 11, and I'm over, I know that I'm over, which means we probably won't have a song. He says in verse 11, where did I put it? It's on the screen. You can read it from the screen. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, every bit of pain that you walk through, God is presiding over. He adds purpose to it and he promises it won't be permanent. Do you know that? Do you know that we, we, ha we have this thing, even atheists are like, I don't believe in God, it doesn't make any sense. That's a thing weak religious people have to come. And then they go through something hard, they're like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this to me? Right? Because the two tenets of atheism are, there is no God and also I hate him. Right? Because when things go bad and we suffer, we see it has to come from outside of us. And so we get, we get angry, but the reality is, is that we don't, we don't have a non-God or a violent God or angry God or a distant God. We have a father in heaven 
who is using every difficult circumstance we walk through to bring out the best in us, to open our eyes to see him and to teach us things we cannot learn any other way so that we can participate in his holiness and in a relationship with him and comfort those and use that experience and be a blessing to the world. And God doesn't waste an ounce of our pain. Isn't that beautiful? And the more we trust in him, oh, the more strength we have and comfort we have in walking through difficult circumstances. And so Solomon is appealing to his son as I will appeal to mine. And I am appealing on God's behalf to you to just look. We're going to wrap up right here, but look back at this whole chapter. What does God want to give to you? He says, trust him at the very center. What does he want to give to you? Long life, peace, productivity, favor, success, healing, refreshment, steady income, surplus wealth, and he wants you to feel loved and delighted in. Would anybody like to take those home with you today? That's what God is asking you to trust him with in all your ways and all the little things you do. And in your path, the path of righteousness will unfold before you. And so we just rest. And so we, we rest. I want to end with an invitation when Jesus was on the earth fulfilling God's purpose to save and redeem mankind he looked around a whole bunch of people who were trying so hard to trust God and they were trying to do the right thing the right way and they were trying to get where God wanted to take them and they were trying to bring about God's plan and everybody was stressed out and burdened and he looked at a group of people like that and he said in Matthew chapter 11 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah said it this way, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Got to pray for myself and my friends. Lord, we have all learned that it is not easy to trust you. And yet it is the most natural and obvious thing as we think about it. God, we thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're like, that we can know you, walk with you, talk with you, learn from you. We can receive from you. God, thank you for expressing the fullness of your character in the person of Jesus, for living and teaching and dying and rising victorious over the grave and giving us a place to look. God, thank you that at the center of human history, there's a cross of suffering and a loved son of God who was offered as first fruits so that we might be yours forever. God, as we encounter you each day, the living God, I pray, Lord, that you would build and increase our trust, that we would understand your steadfast love and your faithfulness that we would come to know you more and trust you more fully and experience the many benefits that you want to pour out richly into our lives. God, we love you and thank you. 
Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.